from Kirkco Media. So what you gonna do about it? Welcome to part two of the hacked edition of Politics Meet Me in the Middle. I'm Bill Curtis. Last show, we looked at overall risk to the United States and our infrastructure and got really nervous. And now let's get personal. This show is an exploration of risks and worries and actions and procedures to protect ourselves and our companies from the rapidly growing cybersecurity challenge. Once again, my co-host, Jane Albrecht, and our very special scary cybersecurity guest, David Holtzman. How are you doing, guys? Very well. Happy to be here. I'm curious, David, did you see Will Smith and Gene Hackman's movie some years ago called Enemy of the State? Yeah, I, I vaguely remember it. Vaguely. Was it true? Well, I just wrote a thriller book that's very similar to that. So, yeah, I hope so. So it seems like individuals and companies more and more are subject to scams and security risks. Last show, you mentioned those three reasons for hackers, for intelligence, an act of war, or a Trojan horse or backdoor to get money. What are the types of hacking that we personally need to watch out for? And what is phishing with a PH? So phishing, it's named after the alternate rock band Fish. P-H-I-S-H, and a fish, we all get them a lot every day. A fish is an email that is offering you something that looks too good to be true. There's a link and you click on the link. And then when you click on the link, something bad is going to happen to your computer. This stuff has been around since the beginning of the internet, practically. In fact, some of the scams that the phishing leads to, there's a thing called the Nigerian print scam. That thing's been around since the mid-18th century. Does it happen just because you open the email, or do you have to click on a link within the email? It doesn't happen when you open the email, usually. I'm going to say usually because there are exceptions to that. There's a couple of things they want to get out of this. One is they want you to click on the link, and that causes one set of actions. The second thing they might want to do is they might want you to call a phone number, and that creates a second set of actions. So let's talk about the first one first. If you click on the link, what it is probably going to do is it's going to put what's called a Trojan or short for Trojan horse. And it's a piece of what's called malware or bad software. And it's going to put it on your computer somewhere probably. This is one of those things we had talked in the last show about Macs versus Windows. You asked about it. Most malware is aimed at Windows, not at Macs. Why is that? There's more people with Windows computers than Macs. Most Windows Trojans are what's called EXE files, which if you use Windows, those are the things that run. Mac programs are done differently, and there's some internal security checking that Mac programs do that Windows programs don't. So they're, they're not interoperable. But other than Microsoft Office products, it's either Mac operating system or Windows operating system. So you click on the link, the Trojan goes on your computer, and then a couple of things happen. Usually what happens is you become a bot, B-O-T, like robot. So a bot, and you would never know that this had happened if you weren't technical or even if you are. So what this means is your computer is now enslaved. They call it a zombie, a zombie computer. It doesn't change anything right away. But then later, at some point, a couple of months from now, if they want to create a big attack against somebody else, they use what's called a zombie botnet. And a zombie botnet is every machine that they've got with fish, phishing attacks. Sorry, a lot of nomenclature here. But we're talking maybe hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of computers that have been infected with this, this bot. 
the odds are very good that almost anybody who's on the internet and doesn't run antivirus software is probably a zombie bot by now. Wow. Can we talk about the antivirus software? Is there one that works or one that doesn't work? Should we all be using it? On a Windows thing, I wouldn't be caught dead without running antivirus software. Is that like a Norton Norton antivirus kind of thing? McAfee's, Norton. There's a couple of good free ones out there. Did I understand you right? Did you say that everyone who has a computer who's on the internet, their computer is probably a zombie by now? Yeah. Even people that own Macs? Many of them. But every time you turn your computer off, it will probably wipe out the zombie program. It lives in what's called resonant memory, not on the disk. The really complicated things, there's a thing called a rootkit. And if it gets into a rootkit, then it takes over the operating system, the computer. And then even if you reboot it, it comes back. The most notorious one of those that I've ever heard of was done by Sony, the music company, who put these things on audio CDs like 15 years ago. So every time you put an audio CD into this thing, it would take over your computer and put a rootkit on so then they could interrogate your computer because now it was a bot and they could say, well, what stolen music is on the computer? And of course, Sony badly misprogrammed this and a bunch of hackers came in afterward and took over all kinds of people's computers Sony had to apologize and stop doing it. David, this is why you said the other day that there's no real protection from hacking on the personal or corporate level right now. Not at the 100% point, no. But, you know, most things we do in life are percentages. So those of us who've gotten vaccinated against COVID, if you read the fine print, it's like 95, 80, 60%. And we, as human beings hear 95 and we think, oh, well, I'm protected. And that's true with birth control and a whole lot of other things in our lives. So you can protect yourself up to that level if you want to be, but you can't be at the 100% level because that's not possible. So tell me about some of the, the hacks and things that we should be watching out for personally. Don't click on links and emails at all. Unless it's somebody you really know and you're expecting it and it seems rational click on it because there's also something called spear phishing and spear phishing is when they make the email look like it came from somebody, you know, and there's AI programs that can generate these things. So it looks like, so I get an email, Jane and I have known each other for many years. So I might get an email from Jane that said, Hey David, this is really funny. I know you'll like this. And then there's a YouTube link in it. Unfortunately, I might very well click on that. So let me tell you about some things that have happened to some friends of mine. They got an email that went supposedly from the CEO to the CFO instructing them to send money to a particular bank account. And it actually wasn't an email from the CEO. It just looked like it was. They sent the money. And here was the strange thing. It was a Bank of America account that they sent it to. And Bank of America would not help them get the money back. Bank of America was willing to have an account that was clearly owned by a hacker that accepted this money and B of A said, not our problem. I'm outraged as a consumer. I don't know what the legal system is on that. Okay, so let's dive into that a little bit because one of the things you can do is you can actually check the actual email address underlining the address that looks like it came from your friend or your CEO. And it very often is some kind of email with a name and set of numbers that you don't recognize. 
I do not believe that an amateur can actually do that. I could probably do it, and I wouldn't do it by looking at the email address. There's a thing called a, a header. There's metadata, routing data that you can actually look at if you know how to do it on any mail browser. And it says each stop the mail made along the way. I can look at that and make a pretty educated guess whether it's real or not. But honestly, the best answer is don't believe anything like that. Don't click on it. If it's about money, then call the person or or it's something else, like a Google thing. You see this all the time. Click your Google account's been compromised. Click here to reset your Google password. That's exactly what got John Podesta during the Hillary Clinton election. So if you get something like that, don't click the link. Go to a browser and type in www.google.com, and then you know that it's the right website. It's just common sense stuff like that. On medicine, we're still practicing. Join Dr. Stephen Tabak and Bill Curtis for real conversations with the medical professionals who have their finger on the pulse of healthcare in the modern world. Available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Produced by Kurtco Media. David, why does it seem like we haven't taken this stuff very seriously? There's not a lot of law enforcement that's protecting us. You don't hear enough about penalties. What's protecting our citizens from all this nonsense? Well, I can tell you, but I don't think you're going to like the answer. Well, I'm sitting down. Okay. So the reason is because the biggest purveyors of this stuff is corporations who use this to spy on our consumer behavior. It's more or less the same technology. It's not the email phishing, but all the other stuff is the same. So if you tighten up too much on security and you put too many penalties it starts overlapping into what are considered advertising and marketing problems. So that's why, like Apple just changed their policy two weeks ago with a new operating system where they're forcing anybody who wants to follow you to get your permission. And there was a huge scream in Congress about that because they claimed that people wanted to be followed for advertising. Apple asked people and they found 97% of the people who were asked did not, in fact, want to be tracked. So there is no line at all between what looks like information gathering for consumer purposes and what looks like a certain kind of hacking. It's the same kind of thing. Jeez. And supposedly, David, there's been a big uh, kind of a COVID bump, which apparently rose to 35,000 scams reported per day by the end of 2020. Is that from the FTC? You know what? That's, That's from Dr. Google. So I'd have to check to see where I got that from. I was probably hacked when I found this this quote. Yeah, so the FTC records every complaint that they get about a hack, they record. And there's gazillions of them. I'm, I don't know how big the number is, so I'm using that term. But it's millions, tens of millions. It's been the number one complaint to the FTC for a decade. You know, again, you're looking at a fly-by-night thing. This is like, you know, you're walking through a parking lot at night, some guy wearing a hoodie, pushes you down, takes your wallet. You don't see them. The cop says, can you describe them? You say no. And then you test the cop, can you get my wallet back? They say no too, right? Because that's what a hack is like. There's no really good technical way to actually track down somebody behind a hack unless they're a moron. Anybody who knows what they're doing can easily hide themselves from even an intelligence agency. We're really talking about process protection. For example, you mentioned don't write down your password anywhere. Don't click on anything. 
apparently, I understand VPNs are supposed to be proving to be inadequate. There's something called a zero trust network access, ZTNA, that has emerged as a more secure option for controlling remote access to sensitive data files. Are you familiar with that? That's not really a thing. It's like that's an ideal. Right. It's a process that we can go through. So that term is something that vendors use to describe their products, but there's no agreed upon nomenclature for what that means. Well, like the multi-factor authentication. Multi-factor authentication is a real thing that everybody can do in theory. The zero trust thing, it's not like that at all. It's a wannabe thing. It's, it's abstract. Multi-factor authentication is actually pretty good. It's a pain. That is another good thing people can do with financial accounts, bank accounts, stock brokerage accounts, anything where you care about the consequences. If they offer two-factor authentication, you should absolutely do it because now you're tying your computer to your password to your phone. There's too many things for somebody to steal. David, when you say don't write down your passwords, I've gotten notices that this password has been found in a data dump or whatever, and you you should change it. So even if you don't write down your passwords, aren't there programs out there that are like trying to find people's passwords? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about passwords maybe for a minute, because I think that's consumer relevant. So there are programs called password lockers. So Dashlane is a big one. OnePass. There's There's five or six good ones. They work on Windows. They work on Macs. Get one of those things. What are they? They're password lockers. So you take the password, you put it in the password locker, then you have one big master password. And why is that not hackable? It's it's hard to hack because the you only have a single password, and it's hopefully a long, impossible to guess password. So where people get nailed on passwords is when they have like a word and a number. Like if if your password is like butterfly one two three, guess what? It's going to get hacked. The reason is because they run automated what's called cracking programs that just run through every combination of uh, dictionary words, numbers, and symbols until it clicks. Now, where you get into trouble is if you use, here's another lesson for your, your listeners. If you use the same password for more than one account, that's really bad. 20 years ago, I used one password for all my accounts. Today, I use a different one for everyone. And that's why I use a password locker because I can't remember them. So if you use the same password, like let's say you have two bank accounts and you use the same password and the first one happens to crack, guess what? The second one's going to crack too yeah. because the automated systems, first thing they do when they break a password is they try it against everything else that looks like that. So if you have you know, Wells Fargo Bank and, and they break your password, they're going to try Citibank. And if you use the same password, you've lost everything. That's a good point. Wow. Yeah. David? In terms of like a password locker, isn't it just as good if you can't remember all your passwords, you create a document on Word or Excel, and then you password protect that? Isn't that fairly safe? I would never do that. Really? Why? Because one of the leakiest pieces of software in the history of computing is Microsoft Word. What about Excel? Same thing. It's the same program. Okay. The reason they call it Office is because PowerPoint, Excel, and Word basically run on the same core software. It used to be they were all separate programs. They're not anymore. They're all, there's like a little bit in the top that makes it Word or a little bit in the top that makes it Excel. If there's any problem in the underlying Microsoft stuff, then you just lost everything. I would definitely use a password locker. Hmm, interesting. 
Is there anything positive we can give our listeners other than to make our lives miserable with having to be that secure? It's kind of like what we've done to ourselves at the airport. Can we give ourselves any hope that this thing is going to get resolved? Or basically, is this just the way of things from here on out? I'm searching my mind for something optimistic to say here. The only thing I can say is that if you're not important, you probably have another five or six years. (laughs) The reason I'm saying that, if you're Scarlett Johansson, there are many people who would like to see the photographs on your iPhone. If you're Dave Holtzman or Jane Albrecht, we bought a couple of years because we're not famous. So the only way we're going to get hit is when artificial intelligence gets to a certain point, which it is pretty much at right now, to where it can automatically work its way in. The future of all cybersecurity is AI. It's not human. Because the AI, it both attacks and defends far quicker than any human being can do. Same with drone warfare. The drones are all almost being run by AI right now. Well, I don't know about you or Jane, (laughs) but if they hacked my photos on my iPhone, they would be extremely bored with pictures of my grandkids and dogs. Right. Right. And I don't understand people who've got pictures that they don't want people to see. Move, move on from that. A Moment of Your Time, a new podcast from Kurt Co Media. Currently 21 years old, and today I felt like I'm magic read extended from her fingertips down to the you base of my spine. You have to take care spine. of yourself because the world needs you and Trust your Trust me, voice. every do-gooder that asked about me was ready to spit on my like dream. Her fingers were facing me. You can feel like your purpose and your worth is really being questioned. going to stop me from playing the piano. She buys walkie-talkies, wonders to whom she should give the second device. Cats don't love humans. We never did. We never will. We just find the ones that are... The beauty of rock climbing is that you can only focus on what's right in front of you. And so our American life begins. We may need to stay apart, but let's create together. Available on all podcast platforms. Submit your piece at kurtco.com slash a moment of your time. So banks must be really spending an awful lot of money and putting an awful lot of staff behind keeping a level of security Is the bottleneck or, let's say, is the big exposure us personally or do we expect to hear someday in the future a bank is hacked and, you know, everybody's accounts are drained somehow? Both. There's been little bits of that. There has not been a major, like, drain the coffers bank hack that I know of. I'm sure it's coming. The only reason it hasn't happened is banks do not use Microsoft Office and they don't run Windows laptops, and they don't run Mac laptops. Most banks use custom software on custom hardware. And most banks have their own stuff. They don't share it with other banks. So if you want to hack that bank, then you have to have an insider who tells you how that software is constructed. And then you you get five people in a room for like two years, and you build a very specialized hack just to get that bank. And I'm sure that's going on right now. By the way, that's the other big victim here potentially was going to be casinos, because if I were going to hack anybody for money, I would go after a casino before I went after a bank. But that's just me. Why? They have more money and they're less likely to report it. You actually just gave rise to my closing question before I go and 
move on to a farm someplace and don't bring anything electric with me. <laughs> Insider threats are apparently on the rise. Talk to us about what a company can do to make sure that they're protected, even though the culprit could be someone who's in their employee. It's a great question. Many hacks of corporations, when you track them down, come from an insider. They're either an insider who is responsible for it, or they've been paid off, or they're just sloppy. All cloud attacks I have ever heard of have been an insider problem, just as an example. So you have to restrict access. When I advise companies that are doing blockchain stuff and cloud stuff, that's the first thing I tell them, who has your big passwords? And there's always too many people. There's contractors, and then there's like my uncle who used to come in and help. You don't do that. It's like one, two, three guys per people, no more than that. You restrict the access to the really important passwords, number one. And number two is you vet the people that have the passwords. I'll give you an example. I just researched this for my novel. The British Virgin Islands has this database called the Boss Database, and it's got a trillion and a half dollars of corporate registrations around the world in it. Only two people in the whole world have the passwords to that account. And they're the only ones who get such a sensitive, valuable database that no one other than those two people have it. And they vetted them like crazy before they ever gave them the passwords. So that's how you deal with it. And then, of course, you have security indoctrination. You lecture people. You know, you do the normal stuff. Most companies are doing that. But the big thing is if it's valuable, just don't let everybody have it. Don't give your, your brother-in-law the keys to your Porsche, not if you want to get it back again. Just restrict the people who have access. Well, all of that being said, that's a scary thing, David. It doesn't sound like we have a lot of really solid solutions. It really is that we have to treat our, our system and our lives a certain way to try to protect ourselves. And I can't help but wonder from a company perspective, should a company try to run its operations, its financial department, its transferring of money in a less than 20th century way and try to come offline? Some do that. When I deal with medium-sized companies, one of the things I push is to change the organizational structure so that you have a high-ranking executive that actually would understand most of what I'm talking about. And that actually isn't true. There's a thing called a CISO, a chief information security officer. There's a lot of those now, and like West Coast companies have a CTO. The problem is what a lot of organizations do is they create a, an org chart where all the technical people work for the COO, the CIO, or the COO, who generally filter what they tell to the board or the CEO based upon other parameters. And you need somebody responsible for security and technology that reports to the highest level of the company. That's the best thing you can do because then at least the board knows what's happening. And you're also recommending the people with that level of access, you're saying run background checks, run serious background checks. Absolutely. It's amazing how many companies don't do that. They run more background checks on people they date than people they hire to run their databases. That makes sense. I know it sounds negative. You think? No, I don't think it sounds that grim. It's the modern world. And just like you have to lock your house these days as opposed to not lock your front door, you just have to take certain steps to minimize the likelihood that you're going to be the one to get hit. You're responsible for your own digital hygiene. 
It's like brushing your teeth, wearing a face mask in the middle of a pandemic. You have to be responsible for yourself. You can't trust the government to recover your money and return it to you after you've been hacked or fished or whatever it was. I think each of us, corporations and individuals, are responsible for ourselves. Is there a place that you can suggest that our listeners go that can be kind of a repository of ideas that they can use in their lives to make themselves as secure as possible? Not really. I haven't said much that most people haven't heard before. Yeah, I don't find this at all depressing or scary. I just think it's a a matter of learning how to be savvy in today's digital world. Thanks for joining us again, David. It's been enlightening, a little scary, because it just seems that it's getting more and more prevalent. And I haven't heard a whole lot of solutions that are absolute. It just sounds like we have to try to protect ourselves as much as possible. To you listening, don't forget to hit the follow button so you don't have to hunt around for the next episode of Meet Me in the Middle. Thanks again to our producer and editor, Joey Salvia. A music for Meet Me in the Middle is composed and performed by Celeste and Eric Dick, and the executive producer for this episode is Stuart Halpern. It's a shame, isn't it, that we have to worry about so many hackers and scams out there. It's, it's kind of weird. Makes me sad, to tell you the truth. But that's it for now. That's this show. Forewarned is forearmed, I suppose. And we'll see you next week. David, thanks so much for coming. How do people follow you? They can follow me at my website, globalpov.com, or on Twitter at theglobalpov. All right. Jane, thank you, too. Nice to see you. I'm so glad David was able to join us. Thank you, David. This was fun. Thank you all for having me. Nice to see you both. And have a good day, everybody. It will be okay. From Kirko Media. Media for your mind.